Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to get the Word of God in your hand. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 this morning. Galatians chapter 1, I'm super excited um, about this new study we're starting. And uh, um, so Galatians chapter 1. Now, before we get started, a couple things. Mike had already kind of talked to you about the Connect card, right? And, and the new series we're going to do over the summer, our summer kind of series is going to be asking for a friend. So take this out and put a question on it, whatever it might be, and, and put it back there in the offering box. And we're going to, you know, pick whatever, eight, six to eight questions, and we're going to go through them on Thursday nights through the summer, uh, starting the first Thursday in, in June. So make sure you do that because it would suck if I had to make the questions up, which I'll do, but I would love to have them from you guys because that's kind of the point. You know, we want to we kind of help disciple, and if there are questions about various different topics, you know, and, and I'm sure it will be controversial and... Uh, you know, the reality is what, what we will do is teach what the Bible says, and we will show the different, if there's sides to a particular question, we will show those sides, and we'll explain, and it's really up to you to make a decision on what it is that you believe. It's not my job to say this is what you should believe. You have to discern truth for yourself, and you have to receive it in, uh, there is only one truth, by the way, so you probably should agree with, no, I'm just kidding, but, but you, you have to discern that for yourself. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He leads us into all truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So there is only one truth, but we will do our best to take those questions from Scripture and bring what we believe to be the biblical answer in, in, in a balance, you know, of, of particularly on some of those um, controversial subjects where there are, you know, I think man-centered doctrines on both extremes, so we'll do our best with that want to make sure you do that. And also, hey, listen, if you are available today at 2 o'clock, we have a, a family in our church that is moving very rapidly. Uh, they just ended up uh, calling me on uh, Wednesday or thir- Tuesday or Wednesday and saying, hey, can we get some help? We're moving. Uh, we are moving back, you know, based on uh, some conversations the elders have had with this particular family. It's Lee and Lisa Proster. Uh, they, are, they, they believe God's calling them back to their to their um, hometown, and uh, they are going back, I think it's Pennsylvania, and uh, they're going back up there, and they're going to see what the Lord does, perhaps start a church. They're not exactly sure what the Lord's doing, but they feel stirred to do that. So listen, if you're available, we could use your help. It's not going to take that long, but 2 o'clock, if you're available, if you would come here, at, just meet us at the church here. It, they live in Spring Hill. won't take that much time, but we could use some help. So with that, Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Again, we're starting a new series this morning that I've entitled Unshackled. Unshackled. It is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. Now, you might recall that the Apostle Paul, you know, in Acts chapter 13, after he had gotten saved, that he was in a church in Antioch of Syria, not to be confused with Antioch of Pisidia, which is in Galatia. But he was, he was a ways away from there in Antioch of Syria. And remember, he was just serving the Lord. He was, you know, just probably using his gifts in, in a particular body. 
And God separated him. The Holy Spirit separated he and Barnabas out. Remember that. And they were called to go and take the gospel into the area that we're going to talk about today, into the area of Galatia. It is modern-day Turkey. And so he was called to go on his very first missionary journey, and Paul and Barnabas would establish at least four churches that we know of in, cities, uh, in the cities of Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Uh, these were the cities where people, th- these were the cities that uh, people had placed their faith in Jesus. They believed in the gospel of grace. That is that Jesus Christ loved us and that he gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 2, that's what it says. We were unshackled. Every person that places their faith in Christ in that manner is unshackled from the condemnation of the law through this grace that is the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, that is very good news, isn't it? It is very, very good news that the price for our sins has been paid. Everyone who believes by faith is no longer a slave to the law or to your sin or to death because Christ has paid the price. Grace has been described by some, if you know, the acronym GRACE, God's riches at Christ's expense. You can write that in your Bible. That is true grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. We have that great exchange where you and I receive the riches of Christ, these glorious riches of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon our lives in trade for our filthy rags, in trade for our sin, and and, and all of our, um, you know, abominations before the Lord. It's by grace through faith. That means no one earns it. No one deserves it. It's a free gift to us by a loving God and creator. That's what makes it grace. It's unmerited. It is undeserved. But that's also what makes it difficult for us, is it not? Grace, unmerited, you know, undeserved. That's what makes it difficult for us even in the modern day church is because we have this innate desire to contribute to our salvation. We have a desire to do something to say, Jesus, I'm worthy. And yet the Bible would tell us there is one worthy, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one. Much like uh, many in the church of Galatia who were struggling with this concept of grace, getting something for nothing, as it were, we live in a society that's merit-based. And so it's difficult for us to stand firm in the grace that we've been given and stand firm in the freedom of Christ. And we oftentimes will be tempted to trade that freedom for shackles. We trade the freedom that Jesus has given us for a counterfeit gospel, which, by the way, is no gospel at all. It is terrible news if I have to do something to gain salvation because I will fail. I will not be able to do it. Whatever it is that, it, that the Lord would call me to do, I would fail if he said, Tim, it's going to cost you this plus my son. Guess what? I'm out. And so are you. There is no way that you and I could contribute to what Jesus has done for us. And yet that is the struggle of life. Perhaps you're here and you've been a Christian for some time and, and you know, you, you, you understand the concept of grace and yet somehow you've fallen into this, 
you know, sort of works-based, Lord, I have your favor when I'm doing the right things, but I don't have your favor when I'm not, that is not grace. God is a God of grace. He's never changed. He's always been a God of grace. Well, what about the Old Testament? Listen, God has always been a God of grace. Always. And he has not changed. And so the challenge for us as we go through this book in Galatians is to question ourselves. Have we changed? Have we taken this gospel of grace and have we perverted it into some other gospel that makes it some sort of works-based uh, you know, Jesus plus something kind of, uh, uh, of, of a gospel, which is no gospel at all. The Bible tells us that it's by grace through faith that we're saved. Listen, and that is not even of yourself. It's a gift from God. You know what that means? You can't even believe. You can't even believe without God's help. Without God giving you the faith to believe, you cannot believe. That's what that means. There is no work at all that you can do. Not a single thing that you can do. God has laid it open for you. He has paved the road to heaven for you. You simply need to believe by faith in the grace that was given who is Jesus Christ. This is an incredible, incredible message that Paul has written throughout this book of Galatia. And most of his epistles, in fact, are this very same theme. The idea of dealing with a works-based um, gospel that is no gospel at all. You know, people departing from the true faith to, to formulate some form of, of, of religion that produces nothing but condemnation. And so that is his aim for this book. My aim as well is that we would gain better understanding of the freedom that we have in Christ. For as the scripture says, for freedom Christ has set you free, Galatians 5.1. Stand firm, therefore, and do not, again, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. My prayer is that you and I, after this study, however it might be, 10 to 12 weeks, maybe shorter, we'll see, but that you would come to that realization that it's for freedom you've been set free. Jesus really set you free. Not free to do whatever you want, but free to love and to serve him with everything that you have. You are set free. And that is my goal, is that you come to that realization no matter how long you've walked with the Lord. Amen? Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to read the first nine verses in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him 
be accursed. Father God, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, to come now to equip your saints for the work of the ministry, Lord, that by your spirit you would, you would give us awakening, that you would give us revival, that you would, Lord, that you would give us understanding of your word this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and teach each and every one of us, God. Help our, our minds to be fixed upon you now, fixed upon your word and what it is that you would say to us individually. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> the title of my message this morning is The Equation for True Freedom. The Equation for True Freedom. As I mentioned earlier, the book of Galatians is about one thing. It's about freedom. It's been called by some the Emancipation Proclamation of, uh, for the Christian. Martin Luther called it his Catherine von Bora, who happens to be his wife, and he said that because he said, I am married to it. So impactful in his life that he was married to this book that he'd often found himself uh, in the book of Galatians. It was something that he could not depart from because of the context and the content of this uh, book. Some have called it the, Maga, the Magna Carta, the Charter of Christian Liberties. My personal favorite is the Citadel of Evangelical Faith. Those who understand grace love this book because there is no better defense for justification by faith through grace given in the Bible. There is no better uh, uh, book that defines this like this one. Someone said that this is an arsenal of proof text for the refutation of all man-made theories of salvation by works. That you can open any time you encounter somebody that's trying to you know, convince you that you have to do something to be saved, you can simply remember this. Turn to the book of Galatians and just start reading. You can just start reading in verse 1, and you will just continually hear it over and over and over again because you have been set free. Whatever you want to call it, one thing is for sure. It's about freedom. We're going to look at the equation for true freedom in our study this morning. Paul mentions himself as the writer here in the very first uh, word of Galatians chapter 1, Paul. He was probably writing this sometime around the 40s to 50s AD. There's questions about what time frame it was. Paul was probably only a Christian for maybe 15 years at this point. He was, you know, in, in some sense, a new believer. In, in some sense, he was a guy that, you know, some would say he's too young to be in the ministry yet. He needs a little bit more time under his belt. And yet the Lord can call somebody who's been converted and begin to do a work in their life immediately and use them. And he does, and he wants to. The moment we become a Christian, God has a plan, and you should be serving, and you should be uh, you're sharing what you know. But, but Paul was probably a Christian for 15 years or so. I'm convinced that there is no better person to write this uh, on this particular subject than the Apostle Paul. The reason being is because of who he was before he was a Christian. He was a Judaizer. He was a guy, in, in, in the sense of being zealous for the law, he listened to him describe himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. He said, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, listen, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is a perfect person to write this epistle because he's been there and done that. He's been there and done that. Don't you like to hear a testimony from somebody that's been there and done that in your life? When you're, when you're dealing with something in your life, you want to hear perso someone's personal story where God helped them out because you're you know, maybe in the ditches and you need help and you want to hear a testimony of how God has helped somebody else. It, you, it, there's no better way to get truth than from somebody who's been there and done that. And so Paul is going to present this truth beautifully because he was a legalist. He was a law keeper. He was a sinner that was destined for hell until he met Jesus Christ. All the law keeping in the world would never ever be enough to get the apostle Paul into heaven. He needed Jesus. And guess what? The Lord, he had that great, you know, collision with Christ upon the road to Damascus. And there he was. He was found believing in the risen Savior. Amazing. Here is what Paul learned in that collision of Christ. He found the equation for freedom. And it is this. Jesus plus nothing equals liberation. Jesus plus nothing equals liberation. Liberation. The Apostle Paul came to that realization. That is the true gospel of grace, that there's nothing that I can add to what Jesus has done. That's exactly why we call it the gospel of grace, because we're getting something we don't deserve. Now, many people that have a problem with that equation, they've made up their own equation, particularly those who want to feel like they are some way, shape, or form can contribute to their salvation. Enter Judaizers. That's exactly who they are. These fellows are people who believe, yeah, Jesus came, he died, he was good, and all that, but you need to do more than just believe in Jesus. You need to follow the law. And as we'll see in particular, the law that they really want these guys to follow is circumcision. They want them to follow the law of circumcision. And yet, what's amazing is we are circumcised in Christ he has cut off the flesh from our bodies. We are no longer bound by the flesh. We have been circumcised. And listen, not of our own doing. It was of the Lord. He did it for you. But, but that's their problem. They, they, here is their equation. Jesus plus something, i.e. the law, equals liberation. But if you do the math biblically, if you take that equation and you plug it into the Bible, you will get Jesus plus something equals condemnation. Nothing more. Condemnation. It will lead you to hell. That is exactly why Jesus told the Pharisees, you guys are twice the sons of hell. You are leading people straight to the pit of hell by your law keeping. I'm a God of grace. You could never work your way to me. That's why I extend my hand of grace. Why do you think there are sacrifices? Why do you think that there are, I set up this elaborate system so that your sins could be forgiven because you can work your way there? No, because there is no other way except for through the shedding of blood. There has to be a sacrifice. You're not good enough. 
It was by faith in that sacrifice, not of works. And that's exactly what these Judaizers were trying to tell these young Christians in Galatia. They were trying to tell them that they, they needed Jesus plus circumcision plus keeping the food laws and all of this stuff, and this is not the true gospel, but another gospel, which is to say that it is a false gospel. It is a false gospel. It's a recipe for disaster. There is no other formula that brings true for freedom except for this equation, Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Only Jesus can save. There's three questions that I want to answer from our text this morning relating to true freedom. Firstly, what makes Paul qualified to talk to me about true freedom? What makes this guy qualified to t- talk to me about this? Secondly, how do I personally find true freedom? And lastly, is there another gospel that you will yield me the same result? So we're going to look at Paul's qualifications here in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Uh, unlike a modern letter that is being written in our day and age where we sign our, our names at the end of the letter in the Bible, in biblical times, when they wrote a letter, they would write it identifying themselves first. I like that. That right there tells me whether I'm going to read the rest of it or not. Paul, nope. <laughs> no, you know, you, if we did that today, you'd go, well, I, yeah, that person's not going to say anything nice. I'm going to, you know. It, it's a nice thing to do. It's easy to identify who it is that's writing. Paul wanted the people to understand. It's I that is writing. It's me, Paul. He identifies himself as an apostle. That word apostle means sent one. Simply means sent one. But it, in this particular context... It is a specific office that is held by 12 men that God has called to take the gospel into the world, to establish the church. It was a special office. It was a special calling. He was an apostle. He was a sent one. Notice, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Here was the problem, is that Paul's credentials were being challenged by these Judaizers. They were saying, you know, you know that Paul guy? He calls himself an apostle, but he's really not. He's not really an apostle. Well, ask him how he became an apostle. Who identifies him as apostle? Why don't you ask Peter if he's an apostle? Why don't you ask, you know, James or any of the other brothers that are here in Jerusalem where these guys uh, were sent out of? They weren't sent by these, these fellas, by the way, by the, by the apostles. They're, they're on their own. They kind of have their own deal. They would follow Paul around and make his life miserable. But the point of it is, is that they would discredit him and say, Paul has not ever been laid, the hands have not been laid on him by other apostles. I believe that this is written before Paul goes to Jerusalem where he, he doesn't go to get his hands laid on to make, make men identify him as an apostle. He goes to tell the fellows what God has done in his life. He is simply going to say, listen, you guys may have known me as Saul, but I want you to know me as Paul now. God has transformed my life. He had not yet, Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. He went, we'll see next week, he went three years into the wilderness. He, he's, he finds himself probably some 15 years here in this particular city of Antioch of Syria. He has not done anything other than that. He has not gone to Jerusalem. No one, you know, in fact, everybody's still afraid of this guy. And in fact, when Barnabas takes him to Jerusalem, guess what happens? Everybody's freaking out. That's Saul. You know, that guy's going to, he's playing some tricks. He's going to do something. He's going to kill us. They were afraid of him. You see how easy it would be for 
these Judaizers to sway the churches? Who is this man? He calls himself an apostle. Don't we have that today? Don't we have people who stand in pulpits, who identify themselves as pastors, as evangelists, as, you know, uh, prophets, as apostles, you know, these kinds of things. We have people that identify themselves in many ways today, but the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. What is the credentials? It's not a piece of paper. It is not a piece of paper. You are not, that does not make you a, a called one, a sent one, somebody who is anointed by God because you have a piece of paper that says that you passed some tests and you were able to get somewhere through a, a system of man-centered truths that are trying to, you know, that, that, like that credential makes you the anointed. It does not. Here's, here's, but here's the thing is God can use that and he does use that. He does use that a lot. In fact, some of, uh, you know, some of the most brilliant minds God has brought into the fold of Christ. And they have helped break Scripture down and helped us understand so, so much about, about what Christ has done for us. And I'm thankful for those people, as I talked about last week. But listen, do not be fooled by a piece of paper. Because anybody can get a piece of paper. Anybody can get a piece of paper. Listen, I can for right now. If I want a piece of paper that says I'm a pastor, do you know what I have to do? Pay 20 bucks on the internet and I'll have a piece of paper that says I'm a pastor. That's all I need to do. I can do it like that. You know, it's scary. You should ask me where, where how, my credentials. But here's the thing. I was ordained by my pastor. My pastor, who I sat under for eight years, ordained me. He knew me. He understood where I was. I didn't just get a piece of paper. He simply recognized a calling upon my life. If any of you have ever been ordained in any particular office in the church, it doesn't matter if you have a piece of paper. What matters is God's hand on your life. And people will see that. Well, how do we know that, that this person is a, um, called to this particular ministry? A, number one, the Lord will make it known, number one. The Spirit, will, you'll bear witness with the Spirit, Number two, there, there will be fruit that follows the person. There will be fruit that follows, follows the person. In other words, if you are in a teaching ministry and you're teaching to empty seats, you're probably not called to that ministry. You hear what I'm saying? If nobody's following you in the ministry that you feel called to, then maybe that's a good indication that you're not called to that ministry. In other words... God will, will produce fruit in your life. And here's what I will say is that fruit will happen far before you even recognize your call. It, I've heard it said like this when it relates to the calling that God has on your life that you're already probably already doing what he's called you to do before you even recognize the call on your life. And that is the case. That's what, that was the case in my life. I was already doing these things. I didn't set out to be a pastor. I didn't set out to start a church. I didn't set out to do any of this. And in fact, I was just simply loving Jesus, using my gifts in my church, playing worship. And then my pastor started asking me, hey, will you teach for me? Will you, you know, and I started filling in for that. And I was like, yeah, cool, I'll do that, whatever. And through that process, God just began to cultivate the ground, I like to call. I like to call it cultivating the ground. God was turning and stirring me and preparing me for my calling. And, when, and here's the thing, when it was time, then he revealed my calling. And had he revealed my calling before, I would have said, no way. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't, I don't want to be, 
I don't want to be responsible for people. I don't want to be responsible for them, Lord. But as God has grown me up and he's, and he's revealed his calling to my life, I cannot but preach the gospel. I cannot but do it because the Lord has already done that work in my heart. But if he had revealed it too early, I may have been like, eh, I don't know about that. You're already probably doing what God has called you to do when he reveals his calling to you. This really makes a huge point, by the way. If you're not serving in the body somewhere, I don't care what it is. And let me just differentiate between serving and calling. Okay, we all, Jesus said, I have come to what? To be served? No, I've come to serve and not be served, right? He's called, so we're all called to be servants. That means we wash people's feet. That's what a servant does. We are called in the body, whatever body it is, you are called to do something. You are called to serve. That is a general call. I don't know if I'm really feel called to do the coffee bar, you know? I don't know if that's really in my calling. Hey, listen, that's in all of our calling. And I'm not trying to pitch that. What I'm saying, what I'm trying to get you to realize is that so many times we're sitting back and we're waiting and we're thinking like, well, I don't know, that's not my calling. That's not my calling. Here's what, I'm, here's what I will say to you is, until you step into something, whatever it is, serving the body in some way, which, by the way, is your calling, until you step into that, God isn't going to reveal the rest. You, isn't that the way it works? I'm not going to give you more until you're doing something with the little that I've given you. He's given you some ability. Anybody can clean bathrooms. Anybody can, you know, d- there's many, many things you can do in the body, and you should. You should serve the body. And, you know, we should be countercultural as a church. We should be a church that says, listen, we are going to wash each other's feet. You know, it shouldn't be a struggle for us to get people to, to, to help another brother or sister or whatever. Barring schedules and all of that. that. You know, I get that. But we are called to be servants, Christians. Servants. Servants. And in your serving, God will reveal your calling. He will reveal your calling to you. I promise you that. You think Paul just walked into town an apostle? You think he was just like, hey, I'm the apostle Paul. Serve me. You know, this guy served. This guy served people. He loved people. He washed people's feet. In fact, he became a tent maker. He was bivocational. The apostle Paul was bivocational. He didn't have a big church. Uh Uh-uh. He started churches. That's what he did. He just went around and started churches, and he used his giftings, the things that God had given him, to make a living so that he could do the things that God was calling him to do. That is the call upon our life to use the giftings and the things that God has put into our life to be able to serve the purpose of, you know, getting us in the places where God wants us to be so that he can use us. It's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. Paul became an apostle not through men, not by men or through men, but through Jesus Christ. No man said, Paul, you are now an apostle. Let me lay my hands on you. Had that been the case he would have been disqualified because that's not how you're called in any office in the church. In any office in the church. Listen, I'm a firm believer in, in a size of, uh, of a congregation we have here um, that there are, there are deacons in our congregation, there are elders in our congregation, there are pastors, there are teachers, there are people that have callings upon their lives they don't even recognize yet. 
You don't even recognize it. You're just, you're just, you know, doing your thing. You're just following the Lord. But God has a call on your life. And as you step into, you know, just doing what he's telling you to do on a daily basis, he'll reveal that to you. But here's what I would say. There are some of you that are, that are saying, I don't know what my calling is, but you're really not doing anything to figure it out either. You're just kind of figuring that it'll sometime, in some way, that it'll just come up. Listen, if you are not intentional about your walk with the Lord, you are not intentional about being, you know, obedient to the Scriptures in the first place, you'll miss it. I promise you. You'll miss it. So here's the call. Be diligent. Be diligent with the the giftings that God has given you. Use them. And as you use them, God is going to bless that and he is going to reveal more to you. Here's the thing is, you know, this is my calling right now. But if I stop seeking God, he may have something different for me. I'm never going to stop seeking him. Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? Not yesterday, not two weeks ago. What do you want me to do today, Lord? And I will do it. So Paul here is just telling us that he is an apostle. He's not, you know, now Peter gives us the criteria in Acts chapter 1 of what it means to be called an apostle. He says that those who are called apostles must have a been with the Christ from his baptism on and b they must have seen the risen Christ. That was his criteria. This is incredible because Paul you can automatically say, well, that discounts him because he wasn't with Christ from his baptism. You're right. He wasn't. But, and it was, how long was Jesus' earthly ministry? How many years? Three years. Okay, so three years. How many years will Paul be in Arabia in the desert with Jesus? Three years. Oh, well, wait a second. It's not exactly the way man planned it. Hey, listen. He spent three years with Jesus in the desert, and Jesus himself discipled Paul just like he did the other the other 11 and therefore and he also we know that he saw the risen Christ right on the road to Damascus he's qualified to be an apostle number one and and then we see by the way the fruit of his ministry he you know the fact that he planted these four churches should be qualification enough for these people should it not he went into these churches. In fact, in Derby, I think it was Derby where he was stoned to death. He got back up and he walked back into town after probably could have been dead. We don't know if he was dead or not, but he was beaten up and they thought he was dead. The dude went, he got up and he walked back into town and he preached the gospel. Listen, there was fruit in his ministry already. These people, you know, they, they, they should have known. Of course he's an apostle. He's, he's the one that God used to save us. Of course he's an apostle. And yet the Judaizers were really good. They were trying to get him to, to realize that. But he had seen, he had spent time with Jesus for three years. He had seen the risen Christ. He, is, he has the qualifications. Oh, and by the way, I mean, this is no big deal either. Uh, the fact of the matter is that we are reading 13, probably 14 of the New Testament books that you have in your Bible were written by him. That's probably qualification in and of itself. Amen? Like he wrote most of the New Testament. That's a big deal. I, th- the reality is this. There will be fruit in the ministry that you're called to. Look at the fruit of the Apostle Paul. Now, I promise you that as he was living this out, it didn't look like much to him. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you as he was walking out his daily life, he's saying, man, this sucks. 
You know, I'm, I'm trying to preach the gospel to these people. They're all, you know, they're not responding to, you know, they're not responding to the Lord. They're not responding to the, to the word, you know. And then he's trying, I'm trying to teach these Christians how to be Christians. They think they're doing good, but they're really doing bad. You know, the church in Corinth, they're just, they're all messed up. I'm trying to teach these other churches. You know, you can get to the point where if you're the Apostle Paul, you're like, ah! No, but you can't because it's God's people. It's his message it's his church, and you know what? You're a simple vessel, so you can't let it get you frustrated. I don't know why people aren't doing this or that, or I don't know why they're not serving me this way or that way or whatever. You know, listen, you do what God tells you to do, and you don't worry about everybody else. You do what God tells you to do. I don't know how you do it. Listen, the only way I can do it is to simply be obedient to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that I can do it. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle by Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ himself. It was the Lord that called him. He goes on here and he tells us he is writing this letter from Antioch with fellow brothers in the faith. He's just saying, hey, there's other brothers and sisters here. There's other brothers in the faith that are worried about you, that have heard these things about you, that are here with me, that are, you know, that are concerned. It's us. We are writing this together collectively as a body of believers to another body of believers. But it is in my authority as an apostle, Paul. And see, as his authority, he had the authority to teach, correct, rebuke, and train. He had the authority from God to do that. And as you take God's word and you receive it for yourself, you too have that authority. But he had the authority before the Bible was written. He was writing the Bible. And so he had this apostolic calling. There are people today that call themselves apostles. They are not apostles. Not in the same sense of the word that was used in the Bible. If you want to call yourself an apostle and say, well, I'm a sent one. Okay, well, I guess we're all apostles then because we're all sent to go do something. But there is no apostolic ministry today that ministry has been closed it was for 12 people which by the way i believe paul was the 12th but that's a subject for another day but there were 12 that were called to do this and there we have them and and so paul says it's us we're writing about this these are my qualifications i was called by god personally so you, so there there we have his qualifications now how do i find personal freedom in this in this thing then called the gospel look at verse 3 paul goes on he says grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of god and father to whom be the glory forever and ever amen here we find the gospel in a nutshell right away I mean, normally Paul's like, hey, how's it going, guys? I really love you. I've been praying for you, you know, and all the brothers say hi to you and all this kind of stuff. Dude, he gets right into brass tacks here. He just says, look, here's the deal. I'm an apostle. Here's the message, the gospel. And you know what? I am blown away that you have departed from this gospel of grace. <laughs> that, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty serious opening of a letter you're like, man, I don't know if I want to read the rest of this, you know. As if you're opening this up there, they're like, oh, man, he, he is kind of, he's a little bit ticked off. He's saying, listen, you guys, you have the gospel. He says this. He says, grace and peace, grace to you 
and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way that it's written. That is not coincidence. That is not a simple, uh, 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 you know, introduction or a simple um, greeting. There is significant profoundness in the way that this is written. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a pen and you write in your Bible, which you can do, it's okay, circle those two words, grace and peace, and you can write on the side of the margin or somewhere this. If you've never heard this, this is profound. If you've never, you will never experience the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. You will never experience the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. In other words, you can never have peace without grace. It's grace first. It's grace first. He says you'll never have God's peace upon you until you receive the grace that was given. Now, the very next question should be this. What is the grace of God? No, wrong question. Who is the grace of God? It's a person. His name is Jesus. How do we know this? Because the Bible says so. John chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, it says this. And the word who is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the grace of God and the one by which we have peace with God through Jesus. Him and him alone. Paul goes on to explain this grace. He says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this, from the present evil age. Is that an understatement? Interesting enough, the present evil age back in their day was the 40, 50 A.D., here we are, 2018, and it is the present evil day. It is still the present evil day. That is, he's speaking about the fall of man there. Listen, according to the will of God and God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Jesus, listen, chose to come. It says he gave himself. This is interesting. This is, there, there's a parallel in this, in this statement. It's by grace, first, that we have the peace of God, that grace is this, that Jesus Christ, he gave himself freely. He freely gave himself. But at the very same time, Paul strokes the pen and says that it was by the will of the Father. Did he freely give himself or was it by the will of the Father? Which one? It's both. It is both. Well, of course, because Jesus is God. No, listen, Jesus, th this is interesting. Jesus represents humanity. Does he not? He came in our likeness, right? He, he's a man. He came in our likeness. He's God, but, he's a, but, he, but he is, in, in the Godhead, he is the representation of humanity. He freely gave himself for you and I. But at the same token, it was the will of the Father for him to do that. See, before the foundation of the world, the Bible says that Jesus was slain. Like from before the foundation of the world, it was decided that that was Jesus' lot in life, that he would, you know, he would come down, God in the flesh, that he would become man, and he would 
die on a cross for our sins, that he would become the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Did he do that because it was the will of God, or did he do that from freely giving? Yes, both. He did it because he was freely gave himself, but he also did it because it was the will of the Father. What am I saying? Why, why am I making a big deal out of this? That is the picture of salvation, folks. That is the way it works. God has ordained you from the foundation of the world to be saved. It says it, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Father, who desires all people. How many people? All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9b. Or 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that, not wishing that what? How many would perish? Any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. What am I saying? What I am saying is that salvation is the very same picture of what Jesus did for us. He freely gave himself, but it was the will of the Father. When you come to Christ, it has nothing to do with anything that you've done. You're not good enough. It's not because God chose you because you have skills because you don't. Everything that he did, he did, and he ordained you to do, and he put the, the ability for you to do it inside of you. The other side of the coin is this then. You have to respond. You have to respond to him. You have to freely give your life up just as Jesus did. I don't know what, why you would want to hold on to your life if you're not a believer because it's no life at all, really. My life started at 24 years old when I became a Christian. And my life has been a, been a blast since then. I've enjoyed it. It's been awesome. Your life doesn't start until you become a believer. So don't hold on to it. There is a transition where you have to, you know, you have to call upon the name of the Lord. But listen, he's given you the ability to do it. He's given you the faith to believe in him. It's not even of yourself, Paul said. How do I find true freedom? I turn to Jesus, who is the grace of God, and I put my faith in him. I freely give up myself to him as he gave himself up for me because that's the will of the Father. And so therefore, listen, my salvation is the glory to the glory of God the Father. It is to the glory of God the Father. You can glorify him. You can rejoice in him because he has given you your salvation. It's not something that you chose to do. It's something God gave you the ability to do, and you simply responded to him. We love him because he first loved us. It's that simple, folks. But we want to make it a lot harder, and we want to argue about semantics of salvation. Jesus freely gave himself up. He freely did that but it was also the will of God. God wants you to be saved, but you have to respond to the gospel. How can I be saved that way? That's how you can be saved. So this begs the final question, is there another way? Is there any other way? Is there another gospel that I can be set free from? Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Paul is like, dude, this is insane. Like, he is baffled. You know, the, the word there, um, you know, the word there, astonished, you could circle it, you could put marveled. You know how Jesus used that word? Uh, he marveled at people. That means he was just like, Pah. like he gasped at, at the unbelieving people, just like, oh, I can't believe it. I mean, look at you guys. 
Paul is astonished. He is marveling at the fact that these, these Christians, he's writing to Christians. So he's, that's why he's astonished. That they've deserted the gospel of grace. And they are trying to shackle themselves up to the law. He said, listen, I know why. Because there are some who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of grace. He's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about the enemy who will plant people in the body to distort and disrupt the work of God. That's exactly what what, what happens in every body. The, The enemy is at work always. He never sleeps, just like the Lord. And he's at work all the time. Thankfully, he is a created being, and we serve a God that is creator, and he is in control. So still, no matter what, God uses it all, and he works it all out for his own purposes, but that is the reality. There are some who trouble you. Maybe you know what that feels like. There's some in your life that are troubling you. The Lord says, hey, stand fast to the gospel. Don't, don't cower to, to those who are troubling you. Stand fast, stand firm to the gospel. Do not turn to another gospel. You're going to get a knock on the door one day. And somebody's going to come up to you and they're going to say, can I tell you about Jesus? And if you don't know your Bible, you're going to be very quickly turned around and you're going to wonder, am I in the right religion? Am I doing the right things? This person tells me that Jesus was an angel that was created, that, you know, he is no God. He is a God. And, you know, they, they, they'll invite you to come and be part of their body. You can be one of the witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses, and, you can, and they're going to knock on your door and they're going to try and sway you. The Mormons are going to do the same thing. You're going to see a couple dudes out on bikes or in white you know, shirts with ties on or ladies, whatever, and they are going to say to you, hey, did you know you can be your own God? Did you know that you can work your way to heaven? Did you know that it's based on your own righteousness? And if you don't know the Bible, if you don't understand the gospel, you will be swayed because they are very good. And here's what I would say is they're not intentionally trying to be very good. They, they genuinely believe what they believe. The problem is that it's contrary to the Bible. That's the problem. And so if you do know your Bible, it is then your, your calling and your, you know, your responsibility to engage them and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't you dare just go, oh, I'm not talking to you. Do you do that? You know, hey, listen, you're a cult. These are people that God loves. He loves these people. Jesus died for these people. And when they knock on your door, God, from the foundation of the world, ordained that conversation. He ordained it. So what does that mean? I better know my Bible. That's what it means. You better know your Bible. Because God is going to, listen, if he, he doesn't send you out to the ministry, he will send the ministry to you. He will bring it to your door. Man, I love when they knock on my door. They don't do it anymore. I wish they would because, because here's the thing is, I don't like to argue with people, but I love to share the truth. I love to share the truth. I love to say, listen, do you want to see a place in the Bible where God himself calls Jesus God? Just flip over to me with, uh, to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and it says right here in verse 7 and 8 that um, the, the Father says to Jesus, God my God. Now, you tell me who's speaking, and all of a sudden it's like, huh? What do you mean? Well, yeah, and then, by the, and then you bring all these other scriptures in play. The thing is, is you're not trying to convince people. The truth convinces. What you're simply doing is presenting the truth. But you're never going to know this stuff if you don't study the Bible. 
You're never going to come to that realization if you don't, you don't make yourself a student of the word. Be a student of the word. Know what is a counterfeit gospel and what is not a counterfeit gospel. Listen, we just came from the secret church. David Platt did a phenomenal job. If this thing's online somewhere, I would, re- I would recommend you listen to it because he dealt with the, co- the cults of our culture. And, you know, he didn't just deal with the big ones like Jehovah Witness, like Mormons, you know, um, but he dealt with Catholicism as a cult. Why? Because it's another gospel. Why is it another gospel? Because it's a works-based salvation. Now, here's to say that there are people in the Catholic Church that have put their faith in Jesus, and I believe they're going to heaven. It's not about who you identify with or what you call yourself. The, the, the fact of the matter will lay down to this one very thing, who you say Jesus is and what he's done for you. That is what matters. But here's the thing is once you come to that realization, you know, then God will, will, will the light bulbs will start going on, and then God will start to move you. But, but, but really, if you look at the Catholic religion, that is one. Oneness Pentecostalism is the same way. It is a works-based salvation. It is Jesus plus something else. I, I hate to say it, so is the Church of Christ. You know, they also believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. That's a works, that's a Jesus plus gospel. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. There's nothing you can do. Not a single work. What does making me wet have to do with my salvation? How does that make me saved? I was dry before, I'm wet now, now I'm Christian. How does that work? Listen, I love many, many people. You know, I love, the, I love those people. All I'm saying is, is that there are many, many other, there are many cults in our world today, and there are many other gospels being presented The question is, do you know the true one? Do you know the true gospel? Do you know that there's nothing you can do? And I'm talking about in the heart of hearts. Do you know there's not a single thing that you can do for your salvation? And if if there's not a single thing that you can do for your salvation, then I would say this, how in the world can you lose it? If you didn't do anything to get it, how in the world can you lose it? That's a topic for the summer. All I'm saying is that there are many other gospels out there. You might be like, man, that's harsh, man. You called people out. You know, you called different religions out and all that in love because we are called to not be deceived. We're called not to be deceived, folks. And, and the only way that I know how to do that is to tell you the truth. This is the truth. This is the reality. There are, there, there, there is Uh, Many people out there preaching a Jesus plus something gospel, which is a false gospel. We need to concern ourselves with a Jesus plus nothing gospel. Jesus plus nothing gospel. Paul says, he goes on here, and he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. That means anathema. You could, it, that means total destruction. He's saying that those people who are preaching a gospel plus something else should be destroyed. Why? Because this is God's word. We don't get to take it and make it say what, it, what we want it to say. We have to let it say what it says. And if you take his word and you twist his word, there's consequences. 
not on it, not in honesty, you know, of, of, hey, I believe that this is, this is the position I have on this or whatever, and maybe you come to a realization later that that's not really the case. You're being a student of the word, and God is revealing, uh, you know, his truth to you. But if you are purposely distorting passages in the Bible to make your point, you're taking God's word out of context, and he will hammer you because he doesn't like his word taken out of context. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. But he is a God that cares about his word, that will honor his word above his name. That's how much he cares about his word. Paul says these people should be accursed because they are leading other people astray. They're leading other people astray. He isn't saying he hates them. He isn't saying we need, he's saying we need to be very aggressive with people who teach false gospels because it's a matter of eternal life. It's a matter of eternal life. So, you know, you can, you, the, the reality is, is if you offend somebody because you're, you're being truthful and you're not being politically correct about the true gospel, then so be it. You know, we're not trying to offend people, but we also are not going to sit back and let a false gospel take over and say nothing about it. We have to stand for the true gospel, which is Jesus plus nothing. This is the reality. You either believe the Bible or you don't. Simple as that. You either believe what it says or you don't believe what it says. The Bible's clear. There is no other gospel that can save except for the true gospel, which is the gospel of grace, yielding an equation of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yeah. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He's given you everything through Jesus Christ. You need nothing else. You are complete. You are whole. You are liberated. You can go and live your life for freedom. He has set you free. You are free indeed. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for all that you have done for us, Lord. We thank you for your son, for the gospel of grace, Lord, that you have given us. Lord, that we, all we have to do is receive it and believe it. This morning, Father, we pray for every person in this place this morning, God, that you would move amongst our hearts, you would draw us to yourself, that as we close in this service, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just speak into our lives. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for it, that it comes by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And we ask you for salvation to come to any and, any and all who would need that this morning, Lord, that they would call upon your name. We thank you, God. We ask you for your spirit to be strong in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There, there are people up here to pray with you. If you want prayer, you can come on up to the front. If you want to accept the Lord, come on up front. Pray with Brian or pray, pray with Rita or Mike and let the Lord move however he sees fit. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.